Welcome to episode one of A Shortcut Podcast. At Shortcut, we make apps for life. This means we're passionate about making mobile experiences that improve lives in ways large and small. My name is Jack, and I'm a developer in Sweden. And with me, I have Joachim from Denmark and Petter from Norway. Hi, I'm Joachim, a longtime software developer since way before the iPhone. I work with creative tech at Shortcut in Copenhagen, Denmark. And I'm Petter from uh, Norway, not so long time uh, iOS developer. I've been working for seven years uh, with some of Norway's biggest apps and uh, yeah, really enjoy that. And I'm Jack and I'm mostly in management these days, but I've been a developer for a long, long time. Actually started on, started working professionally on next step programming in Objective-C in 1994. So like I haven't always been an Apple person, but I was a next person before I was an Apple person. So I've kind of been on like this one single software track, technology track for almost 30 <laughs> years. I mean, I've done some side excursions, but it's mostly that. <laughs> anyway, today we're here to talk largely about WWDC, which started off with a bang yesterday. Apple had some really big new uh, announcements. And as Petter pointed out to me a minute ago, as we were recording this, it is Tuesday morning, 11 a.m. in Europe, and there's a lot of things we don't know yet. So we're going to talk about what we saw yesterday and kind of what we think of it. And I would say the the really big news is, of course, Apple's mixed reality. I keep wanting to say headset or helmet. <laughs> I, I, I always want to call this, I, I keep wanting to call this thing the helm. I, I've been talking to to friends that oh Apple is releasing a headset and no one is excited and it, of course I forget <laughs> the VR AR part of it so they just think they're releasing a new audio device uh, which right. isn't as interesting as what Apple presented yesterday. Right, but uh, yeah, what they did really what they did talk about is it's the Apple what the hell is it called? I keep I, I keep getting mixed up the name Reality Pro. No wait, no the Apple Vision Pro. That's it. Vision Pro? Right. I keep... <laughs> everyone, every rumor said that this was going to be called Reality OS and Reality Pro. And right. I, I had... So I wrote a blog article last night and I had to sort of look through it three times to make sure that I didn't mention reality in there. But but also in the State of the Union, uh, some Apple developers also called it uh, like xros which is not what it's actually called so i think they yes. decided on the name pretty late well i know yeah, i noticed in some of the developer uh hands-on things they were showing there where they were walking through things in xcode and they would add the device to the build and there it was called or the os they were building for was called xros yep. we talked about this a little bit last time that it might be called reality os or xros it seems like it is called vision os but it seems like that decision was made pretty late in the game or that change was made late because yeah there's gonna be reference to the other my guess is that they have talked about xr os all the time in case it leaked which obviously it did and then they had maybe decided on vision all along but they did not want to plant it anywhere until the very last minute and if you go uh, this morning i downloaded the image of the uh, of the headset to use in a presentation and the file is also called XROS overview, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I, that's just my pocket theory here. Interesting. Yeah, I think Apple does this sometimes. They, ha they try to have this kind of like, they want to set up a diversion to keep people guessing because they know there are going to be leaks and rumors and things. They want to keep a little bit of something secret. It, it's really hard to create this big of a product and this big of an announcement that it do really involve so many people and not have 
anything leak, like minor details. Yeah, of course. It's, of course, something will get out there. So having code words and things like that, it's uh, probably for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's inescapable. And it, there are, it's hard to guess, hundreds or thousands of people who have been deeply involved in the creation of this that must be, that have known about it for years. So, of course, they can't really uh, keep everyone quiet. But anyway, I think the device looks, it kind of looks like what I thought it might be in terms yeah. of, you know, we talked in the previous episode that uh, it's probably going to be something that, you know, where Apple can take some existing kind of technology, improve on it a bit, put it together, integrate it with the rest of their stuff. And that's what it is. It's interesting. It's because what I had in my mind was this idea of like the uh, Oculus headset, just smaller and neater and better. Mm -hmm. uh, what I did not imagine uh, was the like lenticular screen that they have in the front. So to not disconnect from other people, uh, they, they have this, like if you go to Spain and buy a fancy postcard and you can sort of move it around and it looks 3D, they have mm -hmm. that on the front page of their, on the front side of their device. So it sort of looks like you're looking at people, even though you're looking at them from different directions. I see. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a very Apple-y thing to do. I, it's <laughs> like, it, it is really interesting how this device is essentially disconnecting you with the world, but how much they try to focus away from that, that this is actually something that makes you connect more with the world. Right. I think some of the footage about with the parent filming or, or photographing the, uh, the kids, were outright scary. I mean, who yep. wants to be around their kids <laughs> with this thing on their head? And what would the kids think? It, it wasn't my vision of uh, a nice family uh, get together. <laughs> no, they, they had this clip of a birthday party where the dad is filming the kids and wrapping their presents or something, blowing out birthday candles, wearing the headset. And it it's eerie, black mirror. It's, it's a yes. bit weird. It will be interesting to see how this will work in reality, but I, <laughs> in reality, um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I I don't think I'll wear this all the time. I don't know if people will wear this all the time. Uh, which also an interesting part of this is the battery pack. You can use it for two hours before you need to charge. So they showed clips from Avatar, but you can't really watch whole Avatar without plugging yourself into the wall. You know, I think that's probably a, uh, you know, it's baby steps, right? They're announcing a, f a first product, and of course it will get better over time. And I think that the first one, yeah, it's going to be really weird to use and to see people using it initially, I think. And, but honestly, I felt the same way about uh, the AirPods. I remember the first time I saw people wearing AirPods in their ears in real life, it looked really, really weird. Because, yeah. it, because they, you know, there's no cord and it sticks out, so it kind of looks like a weird piece of white ear jewelry, right? Um, you know, whenever these came out a few years ago, but now you see them all the time and I'm wearing them all the time and my colleagues wearing them all the time. So it's not really, it's become more normal. And I think there are a lot of things like this where it's easy to look at it now and say, well, that looks ridiculous and that's going to be a problem and therefore it's not going to work. But of course this will, you know, this will evolve and adapt over time. And I think that what we're seeing now, like it, it's pretty big and clunky in certain ways for sure. But imagine what it will be in, five years, 10 years. 
Like I imagine in five years, the same technology will be about the size of something like, I don't know, a pair of ski goggles or chunkier uh, sunglasses. It won't be this massive thing you have on your face. So I think, you know, it's a, ma it's a matter of time. It's going to be an evolutionary thing. There's no doubt that this is the very first step in something new. And uh, I feel like taking a step back and, and just acknowledging that my head or my brain is still officially uh, exploding. I mean, I still don't understand what all this is about. It's so it's right. so different. And I can't help but think that just like the iPhone defined the very business we're in now, I honestly think that the vision, this Vision Pro defines the beginning of a new era. Mm -hmm. it, we won't probably be making uh, vision apps in a year as such, but I think we will start moving in that direction. Right. Yeah, it it is it is interesting because I I do think that people now feel that iPhones has, or and Android phones have been this big part of their lives, but it hasn't. Like we did have a life before the the smartphones, uh, and also the idea now that the first iPhones when the they announced the iPhone that was it. Everyone started using these multi touch devices, but that's not the truth either. It actually took a long, long time uh, until we got to that point where it was that common as it, as it is today. So I do think that we'll sort of look back to this device and being like, "Ugh, what what was that? That wasn't like what we wanted." But there's so much uh, things you can do with us uh, in five years, ten years. Um, yeah. So yeah, chunky sunglasses. I I think is a good name for it. <laughs> yep, and I think it's it's a thing where you know you've got to start somewhere, and all these, you know, Apple has had a number of these things where they they launch something to start somewhere. Like looking back, the first Apple II and the first Mac, each of those products in today's money are about $6,000 when you adjust for inflation. And yet people bought a lot of those, like not immediately. It wasn't like, oh, immediately the, the Apple II had millions and millions of sales, but it it was a new product, kind of a new niche that they were opening up. And, uh, you know, after a few years, it became at least, I know it was never that big in Europe, but in the US, it was super entrenched in like the school system. Like every school had Apple II computers, pretty much. They didn't have a ton. They like, I remember we had, in 1981, we had one Apple II for our entire grade school district in the town I lived in to share among, you know, a few hundred students. So it was, you know, it wasn't everywhere, but like it, it, it built up over time. And the first, the first Mac, when that came out, there was not a ton you could do with it. And yet people bought them over time and it built, you know, it built up into what we have today. Yeah. So I think this could be the, the, the cornerstone of a whole new thing in a way that I never felt about like, say... Apple Watch. The Apple Watch always felt like an accessory, and I mean, I still use mine, but like, it's not, it's not a whole new, it's not life changing in the way that I think this could be. There is also, I think, something that speaks into this, which they mentioned themselves. So with the mouse, we've we got a new way of input. Uh, with the Mac, sorry, we got a new way of input, which was the mouse, and then the iPod was the click wheel, and the iPod was very new. It was for the first time you had something in your pocket. The iPhone, obviously, that was touch, but the iPad and also the watch that was just extensions of that, also using touch as an input. And like they said yesterday, Vision Pro is the first time where you use the eyes, hands and voice as an input. So in that sense, it defines a new category. 
and, and suddenly, of course, blends in with uh, reality. So the apps that we will develop will be part of the reality and the reality around you will also be part of the apps. Mm -hmm. That's definitely some, something new. And, and maybe lastly, I also noticed that it has a pro in its name, which mm -hmm. just like you said about the first Mac, you know, maybe that was the pros. It was businesses uh, that bought them because they were very expensive and eventually they got cheaper and better and all that. But I think also that the clientele for this to begin with will be the businesses and maybe also gaming. And the, the, we can talk about that later as well, but, but you know, they can afford this uh, kind of money and let the technology mature. Yeah, there's so much to dive into, and <laughs> so it's hard to not jump back and forth. But but I think the the one thing that I was most excited to see was how the interaction here will actually be with other VR headset. You have actually these physical controllers that you have to have in your hands with physical buttons, which I think works great for games. Mm -hmm. uh, they did not have that in in this uh, device. You're only using your hand. And they talked about like walking around and using your hands a lot can be tiresome. So they made it so you can sort of relax in the sofa and control things, which I think is very clever uh, if you actually want this. And of course, the connection to uh, other devices, just looking at your Mac and then you get this big screen so you can keep using your keyboard and your touchpad, trackpad. Um, there's so many things like that. Also, as you mentioned, the game demo we had on our uh, dev party yesterday, we had one square that was game demo. They didn't really show gaming in the headset at all, which is so different from the focus of the Oculus. They had some interactive stuff, but I'm not sure if I would call it games per se. Uh, so they're sort of they're, they're doing something very different than the, the other actors in this field. I did see a clip uh, in there. I think of, there was someone briefly playing like a basketball game, I think it was. Yeah. But it was just like, it was just in passing. It was not, a, it was definitely not a focus area. You could see someone holding like, I think holding an Xbox controller playing a basketball game or something. Yeah. But you're right. They did not, uh, they didn't focus on this as a, as a big thing. But then later there was the thing where they try, they always, I feel like they always in the State of the Union, they tried to have some gaming stuff they invited up a japanese gentleman whose name i don't remember talking about talking about a game that was being brought over uh yeah death stranding right to me i feel like i've seen this from apple every year for the past 15 or 20 years that they're like now is the best time ever for gaming on the mac which is we're kind of kind of a side topic but i feel like that was that was pretty much the 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 closest to a game demo and it wasn't even about the reality device it was about the mac they did talk about Unity, which is interesting. And that, of course, that because Unity is, that's where there are a ton of game, games being made. And they brought somebody up. I don't feel like he gave away a lot of details. It was Ralph somebody. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's really interesting too, that they've actually chosen someone from outside of Apple to say, hey, this, this company's tools will let you make apps right away. They're going to be first-class citizens in this environment. Yeah, I, I see it as a clear sign that Apple is looking for areas where this can be applied and obviously gaming is one such and i think it's a smart move of them to include in this case unity which i believe by mm -hmm. the way isn't that danish i think now yeah. this is a nordic uh, podcast and yeah. <laughs> um, and of course then you suddenly cater to a lot of game developers which will help promote the platform etc etc so i think that is a very smart move and i hope that this might actually be 
when Apple will have games, serious games on their platform, because so far it has been only words and not so much uh, games. Right. Well, I think also the the uh, addition of Unity to the mix might help make not only games, but other type of apps. You can make many, any kind of 3D visualizations in Unity. And I think this might help lead into more of the sort of spatial computing that they're talking about, which of course Apple has their own tools. They have their reality composer and these things, but these tools are not, have not been widely adopted as far as I know. Whereas there are thousands and thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people who are familiar and comfortable with Unity's tools for building 3D environments and 3D, 3D experiences. And I think, so part of what Apple showed is that as you're, as a developer, you can create uh, 2D windows that float in the space in front of you, and you can create 3D volumes where you can place 3D objects. And they're sort of talking about, yeah, you can use Reality Composer to make 3D stuff where these volumes would appear. But I assume that you can also create a Unity experience where a 3D Unity-generated world is occupying a volume and can be looked at from different different directions. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see if there will be sort of a gold rush to create content for this. Um, I have a like they didn't really present that much about how to create content for this yet. It's mostly floating apps as you know them from iPad or iOS. Right. But it, but it will be interesting to see if when they give out the tools for this, if it will have that same feeling when the first iPhones came out, when when Xcode uh, came out for developing for iOS, if mm. or what it was called back then. Uh, if people are sort of rushing to make content so that when this headset is announced that people sort of just buy every single game or to to be the one game on that device that sort of everyone has to have <laughs> like the right. the first iPhone the silly thing of having like the eye beer where you drank a glass of beer from your phone <laughs> yeah. it's like maybe it will be something like that but it it will be something that everyone's like oh you have to check this thing out right with unity i think we'll actually see something slightly more ambitious than the uh, year, uh, beer drinking game i think we'll see <laughs> full-blown games because you have exactly uh, unity as the platform you you are already there as a game developer right yeah. and what i think one thing that will be interesting is how much this kind of uh, spatial computing environment enabled through Apple's tools or Unity's tools can be multi-user or multiplayer. Like say we're going to have, say the three of us are sitting in a room together, all wearing our reality pros. Can we fire up a game that make creates a uh, 3D volume that is on a table and we're playing Jenga? We've got a tower of blocks that we're trying to you know knock out. This, like, yeah. And it, this is something that I know Apple talked about with the uh, reality kit before, and they've shown some demos of this in the past years, but... Uh, I think that's an interesting area. It is very interesting. I, because I I talked to a guy here who's worked a lot with the AR kit and made a lot of things, and he he was sort of disappointed that they didn't go too much into that because he felt that Apple has created so many tools, uh, for for AR kit and they didn't really showcase that on the demo or like in, in when they showed off the headset, which is really interesting. So it will be interesting to see sort of the capabilities, how much of those capabilities we actually have in the headsets as uh, as developers. When you look at the sessions that they have advertised now for the developer conference, uh, I see a lot of AR stuff in there. And I think when you say that didn't maybe talk about it, 
I think they simply showed it. I think everything you saw is AR kit, more or less. A mm. lot of the content is. Yeah. I don't know quite yet either. I'm still wrapping my head around all this, of course, but I, I so I can't see the clear role of AR kit unless it more or less powers the whole thing, uh, the whole UI, basically. That's what I would expect. Right. Of course, the system level uh, frameworks, etc., that uh, we will be developing up against. And I, I think also uh, I, another important takeaway I took uh, yesterday is that uh, there was no specific mention about UI kit. It was all Swift UI. And I think <laughs> the way ahead is clearly Swift UI. Yeah. They have, they have t telegraphed that with the uh, tent poles uh, previously, so we shouldn't be surprised. But I think UI kit will, you can, will be able to do stuff for a period in UI kit, but it doesn't have a space. And maybe lastly, just to round this little thing off, what do you think about React Native Flutter when UIKit doesn't have a place on the device? Mm. I cannot see at all any of these cross-platform things. That will be really, really interesting to see. And that, that also sort of plays into how important this platform will be. If this becomes a really important platform, then maybe there's a bigger push towards native again. It's, it's interesting. It's uh, so, so how DubDub now works is that they release new session videos every day. And I just looked through and looked if there were some UI kit sessions. There, there are some. They even have like a UI kit for augmented reality or something, uh, which the uh, meet UI kit for spatial computing, which is very <laughs> surprising to me, to be honest. Um, I, I do think that it will like if you don't want to do SwiftUI, you can get this much, but you can't get the full, like everything. Um, it will be interesting to see how how that plays out. There was one of the presenters who did mention that you could create uh, like a window in the reality space based off of UIKit, and then the other things I forget what they called them. They were they were sort of like there were sort of attachments that could pop up on the edges, sort of like Chrome around your windows and things. And those you all defined with Swift UI. And they said, basically, you could create a UI kit window and still have these attachments and things in Swift UI. You just had to sort of wrap it somehow. So it seems like, yeah, you can use UI kit, but you're going to be kind of ultimately wrapping it in something else in order to do the main like front level features. It's there in a transition period. So it's yeah. there for compatibility. You can still show and launch your uh, UIKit apps for a period of time, hmm. but it's only f for not shutting it out because let's face it, most of the apps are probably still UIKit, but going forward, hmm. it will be only SwiftUI. Yeah, I, I do think that this fall will sort of be the end of UIKit for the, the biggest apps, to be honest. I, I do think that we're at that point where uh, it makes more sense to do SwiftUI maybe just to like be more compatible with the future to create widgets to create um, live activities you need to write swift ui there's a lot of news to or not that big but there was news to how widgets work and how you can configure them and how they sort of connect more into the system you can have interactive widgets uh, like turning your lights on without actually opening the home app um so so there are interesting things there that um i i think will sort of 
change how we see app. I, I've talked a long time about how apps are sort of moving out from behind the app icon with the headset. Of course, it like you can see it actually come out. But I, I do think having your widgets more places like the they have this when you sort of dock your phone, you can see your widgets, which is really right. interesting. The standby mode. Yeah. So, so there there are loads of new ways where you interact with your apps more passively, which is interesting. I have a question here because I'm not quite sure of this. How do you think uh, we will perceive these amazing two little screens in right in front of your eye eyes? Is it really is it 3D or will we see it as 2D, but 3D projected on 2D or will we actually feel it like 3D, like when we're in the movie theater and we see things coming out in our head? You know, Did you get any uh, feel for that? I think it will appear to be actual 3D because you're getting two separate images. Um, I think that part seems pretty clear. And based on you know the other some of the other playing with a Vive and other headsets that I've done, like those present a, a very clear like unmistakably three-dimensional experience. And I think this will be the same also. I think um, it'll be interesting to see what we as app developers do with, uh, you know, when we're us usually working in a two-dimensional context and, you know, we're presenting information and things. And they show it again with their sort of, I forget what it's called, the little sort of attachments you could put on windows that seem to appear, it would stick out a bit. And you could also make your own controls and things pop out off of the plane that they appear to be on. But... I think it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting sort of new paradigm to see how we should do these things. And also, I think it's interesting to think about, okay, what if we also come up with some, you know, 3D user interface controls, like components that aren't just a button or a slider, maybe something that you, you know, I don't know, you rotate or crank. Like I can imagine, I can imagine a, a fishing game where you throw out a line and you crank your, you turn your hand to yeah. like crank the, the, to reel the, the line in. Things like this that because it can watch your hands and have all this sort of input, I think that's something interesting too, is that we're used to just sort of, we work on a flat plane on a screen, but we might be able to do things where we can have, yeah, a little bit like this sort of like, you know, the kind of interface you see in, Minority Report or other other sci-fi things where you know you're kind of swiping things around and pulling things in, dragging things closer, pushing them farther away. I think all of that is ultimately possible. Yeah, I, but I do find it really interesting how sort of flat things were. You had mm. your apps that were sort of just like flat in front of you. You can move them in a in a three D space. Uh, right. But I I think it also comes back to. I don't think Apple wants to innovate everything here. I think they want mm. to see how developers use this and how they True. want to do it. There are things in the iPhone design language, like the pull to refresh, that was made by third-party developers. Mm -hmm. I, I think they will see things like that come to, to this sort of design language. Yeah. I think it's also, once again, a matter of transition and roadmap. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to take maybe two big steps and then leave apps behind. I think having mm. a, a concept of a window, which uh, they will have in Vision OS, allows for all the existing millions of apps to migrate gracefully to the new platform. And, you know, from there, Apple can step it up and make things more and more 3D. Mm -hmm. I think also getting used to 3D will you know, take some time and you, it will be difficult to have too much 3D because you, that would easily blend apps together. I think you will be happy mm. to see that apps live in each their window 
and, and mm-hmm. can, that you mentally can separate them. If it's all over the place in 3D space, then I think that could leave some users behind. It'd be a bit confusing. One thing I thought about also, because there, there was a lot of talk about widgets, and all of that talk was about the on the existing platforms. Um, they didn't really talk about widgets on Reality OS as all at all, as far as I saw. But one thing that occurred to me is that maybe that the widgets, as they're thinking of them, I'm sure they'll be present there. Maybe they will be something more ephemeral, something that you can sort of bring up and put away. Yep. Kind of like the original on the old Mac, the desktop accessories that could run alongside or in the space of your other programs and then go away. I, I can imagine something like, say you've got an Apple Watch, or say you don't, but you you just lift up your wrist as if you have your Apple Watch on your wrist, and that's where your widgets live. They like live tied to your arm. You put your arm down and they go away. Something like that I could imagine being a thing. Exactly. They had some improvements to the watchOS this year where you sort of swiped up from the bottom and then you had mm. all your live activities or what you like to call them them now, uh, widgets. It's, it's, it is sort of like the complications uh, but with more live data. So if you have three countdowns at the same time, you can sort of just swipe up and see the different uh, progress on the different countdowns, which I think in Vision OS, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still, still struggling with the name. <laughs> right. Um, in Vision OS, it would make sense if you're at the kitchen, you can sort of put your hand up or do something, then you can get those timers up. Um, right. Yeah, that's that's one of my main use of timers actually in general is cooking. Yes. And I would love to have have some tools that like help to make that easier for me. Yeah. That is the one and only thing I use Siri for. It's the easiest thing. Yeah. <laughs> Set a timer for X minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the main thing for for Siri. We we had also yeah. on our bingo sheet we had Siri improvements, uh, which they sort of got on a technicality as they removed Hey from Hey Siri. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it's not really improvements as much as one could have hoped. What One thing right. that's also very interesting about that is they didn't mention AI a single time in this presentation. They talked a lot right. about machine learning. They did not talk about AI. I don't think that means that Apple is sort of lagging in this aspect. I talked to a person who had studied AI or machine learning, and he essentially said that the first thing you learn is that AI is something you, a term you use for sales. Machine learning mm-hmm. is what you actually work with. Yeah, I, I, the whole AI aspect is uh, interesting because that is a very, a very hot topic right now. And uh, I think, of course, this is deliberate from Apple's side. They do not want to tack on uh, to the AI hype. If at all they talk about AI, I think they will say Siri. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think, a matter of maybe uh, educating us a little bit because AI seem right now to be the answer for everything. Mm. And when you look at AI, or like uh, let's say Chat GPT, etc., it is not exactly intelligence. I right. read an article the other day, and he said, you know, this is it should be called applied statistics yeah. because that's what it is. Chat GPT predicts the next word in a sentence and calling it artificial intelligence is just plain wrong. Mm-hmm. And for the ma- vast majority of people, perhaps getting used to this term, they, they are getting maybe a wrong impression of what it is and what it can do. Right. So I think this was a very deliberate move from Apple side. Could be. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting, it's kind of, you know, kind of a side, a side topic here, a side quest, but yeah, the whole, the whole AI thing, it is, 
interesting that this term is popping up everywhere for everything that is really not AI. Like I remember computer science classes that I took 30 years ago where we were talking about AI. And there it was, you know, it was neural networks and it was other things that are the foundations of what's used for machine learning today. It was a lot simpler and we didn't have the computing power. But also what was discussed was that, okay, these things themselves are not AI. These things are stepping stones that we think will help us move towards creating some kind of AI rather than being AI itself. So yeah, so maybe Apple is intentionally just like sort of stepping back from this, even though we all knew, know that they are using these technologies. This is what powers Siri and all sorts of things they have is this, the same sort of technologies. They're just not sort of talking about it too much. And I guess because they're not really, they're not doing a lot to give us tools to work with it, at least nothing new that we know of this year. I mean, there are obviously, we've been talking in the past years about how you, you can create models and train them and all these kinds of things. They have tools for that, but it's not really... Uh, it's not been a huge focus of theirs in a way. No, it is a stark contrast to the Google presentation and Microsoft presentations that we've seen the past six months. It's it's very, very, very different. I would actually assume that we would get some code what you want, like AI code help in Xcode, but we they didn't say anything about that. I no. assume that they'll sort of rely on third-party tools to to do that for now, and they don't want to have any any part of it. <laughs> you can you can do as you like. Right. Uh, they they don't want the blame if if things uh, doesn't work the way that things you wrong. hoped it it would. They did mention something about uh, code completion being better. Oh yes, in yeah. Xcode, and it was something about like, does this thing seem like the next thing that you would want to type after this? And that is a bit of this sort of like statistically guessing the next word kind of thing. So maybe this is powered by a language model. Yeah, it's the same. They they talked about auto autocorrect um, mm -hmm. and how that has been improved. I assume that this is based yeah. on the same sort of chat GPT technology. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's very interesting how they, they sort of avoided it. Right. And we uh, there is the one thing that they, they did mention, AI being used to create this persona. So if you're wearing the, the headset and you're on a FaceTime call, the people you're talking to will see this face that kind of looks like your face and will move like you're talking and its eyes will move and all that sort of stuff. And I guess, and they, they did say that's based on, it scans your face and does some sort of intelligent, yeah, mapping of what it thinks your face should look like, how your muscles move when you make certain sounds, all that kind of thing. Yeah, it it didn't look like 100% perfect. It, it no, was no. one part of the that demo where they had like developer preview written under the video. Yes. So you sort of like, yeah. we know this doesn't look as good yeah. as it might it should yeah, be a very clear clear disclaimer this is not ready and they said it out loud they're like we know we know this isn't ready we're just yep. showing you what it looks like right now it's going to get better yep. and it's still far ahead of from what you see by meta or facebook or whatever i mean so yeah and it's also maybe a little bit deliberately hidden behind the screen obviously but also you know the these things that you and show on the screen for others to see. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I mean, yes, you can have eye contact, but but it's not, you know, a pitch perfect uh, representation of you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that I would sort of assume that they would have this memoji focus more than actual showing your face. Hmm. Uh, but it is this idea that Apple is so hooked on about connection that you use technology mm -hmm. to connect to other people. So being in a video call as a memoji avatar, uh, if it has feet or not, it, it is sort of a different way of connecting with people. I do like the idea of actually seeing other people's face. The title of 
or the what do you call it the tagline for this year was dream it chase it code it uh, which is a very ambitious uh, apple uh, but it is it is I, I think it does say something about how we sort of how do you want to see the world and the future how do you want to use these tools to hopefully connect to other people yep i think that that's a good point Apple is very focused on this, on the connection and on making tools to try and help us make more connections between people, <clears throat> which is interesting because at the same time we have all these, you know, we, we talk about the, the risk of parents wearing this thing and their kids can't see them and the weird thing with the birthday party and stuff. But we already have today, you see it all, if you, you go to any playground, you'll see parents sitting with their phone <laughs> and their children playing and going, mommy, daddy, look at me. And it's like, yeah, hmm, oh, sure. But then, because they're looking at their phone, right? So it's like at the same, the same technologies that can create connections across a distance can also distance our pe- each other from the people that are right in front of them. Imagine a room of 20 people all wearing the Vision Pro, mm. right? And it's gonna, it would be pretty weird. Yeah, I, I had this <laughs> image of a high school graduation with all the parents wearing these goggles to sort of <laughs> film this. It's, uh, yeah, it, it it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, I'm not sure if that's what you call connection. Maybe if it looks like normal glasses, it, it would. But uh, mm. yeah, I, I think also this is where the the pro thing comes in because. I see this mostly at this point being for businesses where you mm. participate in a video online video meeting and with that i think and we also by the way did see uh, improvements to facetime including in uh, integration with the vision pro here mm-hmm. but i think that would be not just uh, more accepted it would be a much much better experience from what we have today right and they showed some some quite nice um, 3d uh, effects also where you know, the person talking would be cut out and uh, the screen shared, the shared screen would Mm. appear behind the person and then the person's background where they are sitting would then be the third layer behind the screen. So it was a very interesting real-time effect uh, of a video meeting and I, I could see this really improve the communication in all these meetings, which by the way, which is one, uh, this is one um, example of. Oh, definitely. I think we should, we, we need to think about this uh, as pro and not necessarily for parents uh, at the playground to begin with. True, true. Yeah. I would also like to point out that central to all of this is still apps. It's not that different from how we've worked with I don't know computers and in the last since 1984 it, it is a code that runs that you're opening a calendar you're looking at the calendar it is sort of the same as it's always been it just looks better and like the example that Joachim just mentioned you can get a better connection to other people uh, because of these improvements yeah I saw so I've seen some uh kind of smart aleck comments on the internet in the past 12 hours about this being oh this this whole product is like designed for the pandemic should have had this three years ago because it it's all about enabling these connections that are that are mostly remote it it is interesting because one thing they talked a lot about that they launched like right after or not right after but like a bit later than they should have is SharePlay, which is an API that Apple mm. have to sort of have connections across uh, different devices. So you can you can listen to music together. You can share a 
Keynote. There's loads of things that you can do together. You can browse the internet together. You can browse TikTok, whatever, together with mm -hmm. your friends, uh, right. which is also something that would be great for uh, uh, great for the pandemic and sitting at home. I do think that looking at it at purely through that eye, it's different. Like right now we're doing a podcast from with people in four different places. Uh, right. Mario is on the call. That's why I'm saying uh, four. Um, but that sort of, I'm, I'm not sure if that felt as natural before 2020. Um, mm. Maybe. I, I don't know. It, it, it is interesting how sort of the world becomes smaller and more connected because of how technology has yep. improved. It's true. I wonder if we should talk a little bit about uh, some of the other things that were brought up, specifically more in the State of the Union uh, speech, or not speech, presentation that followed the keynote. Because um, that is the one that is more focused on uh, developers and you know giving us the info that we want about how things are moving forward. There were some really interesting things about uh, Swift and Swift UI, uh, Swift macros, seems pretty great. This seems like it's going to enable us to do, to get rid of a lot of boilerplate code, which I think Swift is already pretty good at compared to some other languages, but this is going to make it even better. A nice layer on top of core data called Swift data. And I forget, was it the three of us or was it a different conversation I had? We're recently talking about, man, we I would like to see some core data improvements. I've had that conversation with a lot of different people as well. So, yeah. so maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like I used to a long, long time ago, back, again, back in the next days, Apple had this thing called Enterprise Object Framework, which was this ORM thing for, you'd have a data model tool a lot like what you have in Core Data today, but it was about mapping stuff on a relational database. And in Interface Builder, you would just drag connections. You could populate your interface with, with uh, you know, what fields to pull from what table with no code whatsoever. You could get a lot done with extremely little code. And it was, in a way, I consider it kind of, it's kind of a declarative approach in the sense that I'm not calling functions to create a connection from one to another. I'm I'm dragging a line. And today what declarative programming is not we don't call a function, but we say we just declare this thing is one of these related to this somehow. And I think this opens up that possibility with Swift data where we can just simply say this thing, this this uh, view is gonna be populated from this item and not have to worry about the underpinnings. And if people are sort of falling off from this now a reminder that core data is how to persist data on the phone which is uh, pretty important as as mobile developers that when you open the app the the data is still there it doesn't need to be hmm. fetched but we're also moving to this world where all we sort of expect all data to be real time it's not like you're opening hmm. the app then you wait for it to load it is we we just accept uh, expect that you just see the latest data at all times even right. though it's from the internet or wherever the data is from. There is a final element or at least another element to what they announced yesterday in terms of Swift data, which uh, they call it. And that's the whole iCloud sync. Mm -hmm. it's, it's from the sound of it, it uh, sounds like it is built in. And uh, I know from personal pain that uh, it's been very uh, cumbersome to implement uh, cloud sync. And it's a manual uh, process. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. I have to resolve uh, conflicts and stuff. It sounds like they may have a solution to this whole problem. So it becomes, <laughs> uh, yeah, typical Apple fashion, just one line of code. I'm sure it's not, but um, <laughs> at least uh, easier than before. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, because like before, we've had core data that could be backed by an iCloud storage container somehow. Then there was CloudKit, which was a separate API, but worked similarly to core data in some ways, but not quite as full-featured, but would but more full-featured in other areas, like automatic syncing of stuff. And maybe we've got something that hopefully merges the best of these two worlds. We'll see. And also just, th there's some of these tools that depending on the app, you might not be able to use the Apple implementation. You might have to use some other databases and yeah, you, you have to use like your, your specific servers or ways of communication that's not really necessarily connected to to this. So I we had this watch party in Oslo uh, yesterday, which was really fun. We had over 100 people coming in from the community um, of app developers, which is always fun to get to discuss these things with people who run the biggest apps in, in Norway. But yeah, I, I think most of them have to write their code in a different way that's not Apple-specific because they have to support their Android apps as well. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point, is that none of this exists in, in a vacuum. We live in a world where we're making things for clients who definitely need Android apps as well as iOS apps. So, um, But I think all of this stuff is relevant to all of us. And just to, I think there are Android developers who watch what Apple's doing, just as I as an iOS developer primarily watch what Google is doing. I think it's important to like to think about how we're going to occupy these two spaces at once. Yeah, definitely. And, and that sort of brings this uh, all back together because even though Apple announced this, this doesn't mean that the world is now different than it was in, in some sense, but but right. not 100%. It's things take really take time. Uh, maybe Google, maybe Meta, someone will come up with a different headset than this with a, some different IDs, mm. but I, I can guarantee whatever it is will end up making apps for it. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. I also feel like saying here that since this is a podcast for app publishers, which include our clients, that's what we do for them, that we constantly have a discussion about which OS versions to support, how much should we be looking forward, how much should we be looking backward. And I feel at least in Denmark, there's a tendency to want to cater for too many OS versions going backward. Mm. And what I like to talk to the clients about is that they should consider how they want to spend their budget. Mm. Do they want to spend it on features or on supporting devices which are on their way out and which will be obsolete eventually and next year won't yeah, even exist? Then instead spending that budget on forward-looking features where with Vision uh, OS or Vision Pro, we are maybe at a brink of a new era, and it's clear that Apple is communicating on the developer website that these are the steps you should take with your existing apps and new apps that you start developing today in order to become, let's call it a first-class citizen on these devices. And I think that's a really interesting discussion to have with these app publishers to look forward rather than backwards. Yes. And there's also the aspect that since this is a process and you know this will take years, I think Android will catch on and Google will catch on so that we can still develop Android and iOS apps more or less in parallel and they will be able to do more or less the same thing. Mm -hmm. But I also think that we have to accept that these two platforms are separate and that there will be things you do in one way on one platform or maybe that you cannot do on the other or whatever. 
I think the, the takeaway here is that we should talk to the clients about you know, what features would you like to support going forward? Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That that balance to strike between, okay, what are the, what is the lowest common denominator that we think we must support everybody who has this lowest thing, versus uh, how much we're going to do work that feeds the needs of our leading edge users who who have the newest technologies, who want to have experiences based around the thing they've bought. And if you as a company can provide them an experience that works uniquely in their platform and it gives them different functionality, some different way of working that they don't have in the other apps on their phone, on their, you know, on their whatever, then it's, I, I think it's an important discussion to have always. And I think this is something that, we're, that we can try and always lead our customers into just having this discussion. Ultimately, it's up to everybody to decide what they want to do, but it's important for us to, to take charge on like, getting people to think about these things and discuss them. Yeah, I, I don't think we've decided what the next episode will be, but it would also be interesting to hear how the Android developers approach that as they have a lot of different devices that they have mm. to support. Yep, that's a good point. Okay, well, I think it's time to wrap this one up. This has been episode one of a Shortcut podcast. Our producer is Myra Carbone. Shortcut is an app development company with offices in Denmark, North Macedonia, Norway, Romania, and Sweden. At Shortcut, we make apps for life. For more information, visit us at www.shortcut.io. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.